0: What do they say? Third time's a charm? More like 30. Let's see if you can get it right this time. Hey, it's Sachet, and this is The Conscious Creator Show. Through exclusive interviews with authors, actors, entrepreneurs, musicians, other podcasters, and all kinds of creators, we'll explore how to make a life through your art without selling your soul. The creative side of business and the business side of being a creator, if you will, We've got a host of amazing partners like Brain.fm and other amazing companies. So head on over to creators.show, that's C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S.show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and more. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Conscious Creator Show, where we talk about how to make life through your art without selling your soul. So today's episode is with my good friend, Philip, and his story is amazing. Philip is currently fighting a rare incurable disease called achalasia and diagnosed in 2012. He basically spent the first five years ignoring it. And one day he woke up and said no more. And he's been on a mission to find a cure and pursue a life of constant growth and giving. He's also the best-selling author of Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell, and The Truth About po- Political Strategies That Help Businesses Win. He's also His background is in basically being one of the masterminds behind the curtain of political marketing. With more than 20 years of political and marketing experience, He's worked with multiple Fortune 200 companies, has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political spend, and he's contributed to 1,273 election victories, including hundreds of U.S. House campaigns, dozens of U.S. Senate campaigns, and even three U.S. presidential victories. He's also the founder and executive chairman of Go Big Media and the founder and CEO of Win Big Media. Together, they've won more than 42 national awards for marketing and creative content, and... In addition to being represented by Gary Trucks, Weiner Vayner Speakers and a keynote speaker for one of the country's largest privately held speaker bureaus, Kepler Speakers, he's made more than 260 national media appearances, including CBS, ESPN, Fox, and CNN. And this was a really interesting episode. And we talk about how Philip recognized and one day woke up and recognized that he was really living an unconscious life. The steps he took to be more present and the ways it has improved his quality of life since. We also, as I mentioned, talk talk about being diagnosed with an incurable disease and how that impacted his life and the psychedelic therapies he has used to to come to terms with difficult things in life. And we also talk about how his business was impacted with everything going on around with COVID-19. So Philip runs, as, as I mentioned, a marketing firm and a lot of his clients were affected and He's really um, one of the people I have looked up to in the way they've responded and really just tried to do good and do well and and also just do what they can for the business to keep things going. Uh, some of the things, other things we talked about was how his business wasn't growing as quickly and he wanted and knew what they were capable of and just realized his companies had no culture and how he handled that. When he was going through his incurable disease, he found a doctor, Steve Gundry, who Helped him with a diet to keep his gut healthy and, and prolong the life of his his figus. And one of my favorite quotes from this whole conversation is being present, uh, talking about just being present and how being present means understanding how other people feel, listening to them, and being in their world and being in their presence. And if we're doing one of those things, we're living a conscious life. And uh, I think this was actually one of the first episodes where we're testing a new question, asking people what it means for them to be a conscious creator and i loved philip's answer so without further ado here's philip enjoy the show philip welcome
1: oh man excited to get going and what a weird moment in time let's roll
0: what a weird moment in time right so first of all i actually want to thank our common friend josh for introducing us great guy we were going to do this a few months ago and i wanted to like take some time to like create some systems and everything and in that time the world has kind of changed and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, I emailed you right before being like, I almost wanted to cancel this because I've been feeling like anxious and stuff But like this whole coronavirus thing happening and what, everything that's happening in the world until we realized that like, I think like we can actually use your story and what you've gone through over the last few years as sort of a mirror for what people are going and share the tools and everything you've learned so that it can be helpful for people. Awesome. So first of all, like what are your thoughts on everything that's happening right now? Or, or how are you feeling and doing with it?
1: Yeah, I think I'm in a much better place to handle the amount of uncertainty going on in the world than I've ever been in my life. So I can only do what I can control. I've realized this. So part of what I can control is getting the fuck off of social media because it's very toxic. It was toxic before the virus. It's really toxic now. And then at the same time, I just kind of get to my, I'm sitting here right now in my office because I live, I work in an organic coffee factory. We have the top floor and they have so many cleaning procedures here without the virus going on that it's a complete safe environment and no one's here except me. So I can come into my office in the morning and I put my head down and I just get to work on the things I can control. And then I go home in in the afternoon, spend time with my family, try to relieve my wife from homeschooling our child and try to find the joy in this moment. And I, it's not, gobbledygook speak, it's, I don't know, and we'll get into, we, you and I have talked in the past just about sort of my journey, but that's, I don't even know three months ago if I would be able to handle this the way I am right now. So I'm very blessed and I'm very lucky on that front.
0: So let's start with that. Yeah. To give people a bit of background and sort of where <laughs> you were three months ago and sort of what that has been like last three months.
1: So yeah, I mean, I've, well, over the last year, I've undergone psychedelic therapies, plant-based medicine, and kind of in vogue now. Some people have heard of it, some people haven't. Probably everybody in Austin has, but outside of Austin, maybe not. But basically, I did about five to seven years worth of therapy and working with heat talk therapy and going to conferences on psychology and learning all about myself, learning where my behaviors came from. Realized that I was literally just kind of living a robotic life Seeking out certainty and significance more than anything else, and wasn't being authentic to who I was, and that's because that person was shut down at an early age. Like what I've learned through all my psychedelic work is that the child, the authentic person I was, was shut down at an early age. I modeled poor behavior over a long period of time. And how, I found,
0: how early was was that? I'm curious, like when you say early age,
1: By 10.: Wow. Maybe even before then, really? And so a friend of mine introduced me and said, you've done a lot of therapy. You're wanting to find more in life. You've done a lot of talk therapy. There's a certain level that like at a certain point, the talk therapy hits a wall. Like I made so much progress in talk therapy, but at a certain point, I just couldn't figure out a few problems. I was driving my wife nuts and I needed to figure those things out. And so I got introduced to a therapist. I took MDMA in one session about a year ago. Had The way I described it was a five-hour MDMA session with a therapist and a blindfold on a sofa. I was able to uncover pretty much 35 years of trauma, where it came from, why it happened, have empathy for it, and then start to do the hard work post-psychedelic therapy to heal from that. And by the way, that 35 years always hung over my head. This black cloud always hung over my head and it literally just went away in a five hour MDMA session. And I spent nine months working through that one five hour session.
0: If you're willing to share like sort of like what did you uncover?
1: I uncovered all my behaviors and where they came from. I would tell you that, Sachet, I was like the worst kind of narcissist for a long, long time. I wasn't a narcissist with a lot of confidence. (laughs) I was a narcissist that blamed everybody when things went wrong and took all the credit when things went right. Probably know people like that in life. That was me. You could imagine. It
0: reminds me of someone in a leadership position right
1: now. Oh, I, I mean, you could imagine what that would be like to work with someone like that. You could imagine what it would be to be married to someone like that or to be a daughter to someone like that. It was a miserable life. And I just really struggled and I couldn't figure out why. I also knew my businesses weren't growing at the pace I needed them to grow. And that's because my leadership really fucking sucked. And so I had to, I could either sit in my shit or do something about it. So I did something about it in the MDMA session. I literally was able to trace back a generations of where this came from, why it came from. It gave me empathy to the struggles that the people that taught it to me had. It made me understand that they were doing their best, but weren't doing the right thing either. And then I modeled that behavior. And so I think
0: that's so important. One, one of the things that you said don't highlight that, which is because I've had similar experiences in the last few years, Yeah, realizing that, you and like whoever you learned it from, they were doing their
1: best. Yeah, absolutely. I really do believe this. So me being angry doesn't accomplish anything. and I'm not angry anymore. And then back in January of 2020, after working for nine months on that session, I just said, here's the one thing I'm missing. I still struggle with feeling. I've never, I don't feel like, I don't think I've ever felt love before. By the way, this was a few months ago. (laughs) How old are you? I'm 46.
0: That, that's crazy.
1: And I don't, I really struggle with feeling. I was not, that does not exist in sort of my life and what I model. And so went a second session. And now that I understood the problem, where it came from, now that I had more empathy for it, but how could I be more abundant in my life with love? And so I did MDMA and then stacked it with LSD because I think people, the therapist told me this. I'm very type A. I'm a bull in a china shop when it comes to business and life and everything. And you have to settle the ego down. And MDMA alone for someone of my probably personality is not going to... The first MDMA session, it took three hours for it to kick in. It should take 30 minutes It's because my ego was fighting, fighting, Mm -hmm. fighting. And so this... When you add LSD to the situation, it completely flatlines the ego immediately. And so I had no horrible trips. I didn't have any visions. I just laid in a bucket of love and felt what real love felt like for the first time in my life. I literally, my wife was in the room with me. And I remember saying, for the first time in my life, I know what love feels like. I really do. And it's not that now I know what love is. Everything's beautiful. No. I now know what I need to do to feel. I know mm-hmm. I need to feel pain. I need to feel stress. So in this moment right now, to get back to your original question, this is good for me to feel this, to feel that anxiety, to sit mm-hmm. in it. In the past, I would just drink, right? I would come home and I have a couple of drinks and I'd wash it away. And one of the things I found was I drink alcohol to mask pain. That's it.
0: And I think a lot of creative people can sort of, do that and see that like really? I mean Rocket Man, you see sort of like Elton John struggle, right? Yeah.: It's like the, the drugs and alcohol, and what do they say? Like sex drugs and rock and roll for right. for musicians. Right. Yeah.
1: And like my wife can pour a about a glass of wine, sit on the sofa, and just go, "Oh, this wine tastes so good. it feels good. I feel this wine." And I'm like, I just poured down my throat. That's just the difference, right? And so I quit drinking. So I'm going through all this right now and I'm not drinking. And yes, do I sleep? Well, Nah, not like I used to. Do I feel angst and anxiety? Yeah. But I also feel pretty good calmness because for me, it's like I need to feel this and I need to feel what's important in life. And being a little closer to my family right now because so much is shut down, that's good for me. And I can't use the excuse of what I can control, which is work. And so it's been an extraordinary journey. I'm still on it. I feel like I'm just starting it. I'll always be seeking to get better and learn more. And that's sort of the condensed version of what I've gone through.
0: So before we sort of like jump to what you've learned and kind of like the tools and stuff, like I'm curious, like it's important for people because I think like people can empathize and sort of like see themselves and people's other people's stories. What did some of the darker times or periods look like for
1: you? In my psychological journey
0: and just like, so like, like this journey of like figuring these things out or like to...
1: i love this this one is i acted a certain way knowing what i was about and hoping people didn't see my flaws for example probably not being transparent being honest leading with the wrong kind of energy and i mean it like i had no culture at my company i said things just to get people to do things manipulation there you go i'm manipulated Hands down, I was one of the great manipulators, right? And I would hope people didn't see it. Let me give everybody listening right now a little piece of advice. We all see what you're trying to fucking hide. Like when I just said, I've manipulated, I've done all these things, I'm really sorry. And I went back and kind of atoned to a lot of friends and a lot of, not friends, but a lot of people that worked for me in the past, my own wife, and everyone said the same thing. Yeah, I know, we knew that. And you go, oh, I thought I was sort of hiding and covering it up. They're like, no. It was annoying as hell, but we knew something good was inside of you. That's why we stuck with you. And so I have an obligation, right, to myself first, but to others that I want to feel love from in my life to lead the right way and be the right kind of person that like literally when I'm on my deathbed in however (laughs) many years it is, I don't want to have any regrets. And one thing I see, one thing I'll take away from everything I've known is that I've seen a lot of people in their 70s and 80s that have a lot of regret in their life because they lived a life of certainty. And we're in an uncertain moment right now. They lived a lot of life of certainty. Everything had to be a specific way. Everything had to go the right way. Everything had to be, they had to control everything.
0: Where do you Tony, think the control comes from? I, I
1: just think that's how we wired. I mean, Tony Robbins has my favorite quote of all time, which is, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate. And Every time I get, and by the way, I always drift back into what I've known. So it's not like I've solved this problem. I drift back, but what I do is I recognize it and I work back towards it. And I understand that I'm gonna have a much higher quality of life if I'm okay being in an uncertain position. Now, let me give you a chance of where, let me give you an example of where I backtrack. So before the shutdown happened, everything was ramping up with the coronavirus. Things started to shutting down. This was in probably the, around the 10th of March. And I was traveling for work and I went to a particular hotel and the room had some problem with it. And this, is an example of how I acted in the past and how I just did the same behavior. I saw this and I got pissed. And so I went down to the front desk and I literally berated the people at the front desk for the flaw that they created at the hotel. And I would tell you this, and my wife was with me and she saw this and she said, that's how you used to act. And I went, yeah, it's true. And she said, and because you're so anxious right now because of the coronavirus, you're switching your certainty into treating people poorly because it's what you know in the past. And I went, oh my God, instead of just saying I have anxiety right now, how can I deal with it? I projected it on to an innocent person that had nothing to do with the problem. Mm -hmm. And I've done that over and over again my whole life. But now because of the psychedelic therapy, And because of the work my wife and I have done, I can identify that problem and immediately stop it and say, Mm -hmm. I need to deal with this head on. I don't need to project this onto someone else.
0: I think that's such an important part of this sort of like personal development process is just first like naming and recognizing what it is. So I think a lot of times we just don't even do that.
1: I agree. And I mean, look, with people that I've had poor relationships or I've treated poorly or they treated me poorly, I backtrack sometimes, but I can also stop and say, I just need to be quiet and sit in my shit for a second and assess what I'm doing. So one of the things I've really learned to do is before reacting, take a deep breath and just Mm -hmm. think before I speak. (laughs) Which I accomplish 50% of the time now. In the past, it was 0% of the time. I just reacted. But that's my own fear coming out. Reacting really quickly is just my, it's not about them. It's about me projecting Mm -hmm. my fear onto someone else.
0: It's when you share that, like that you're still sort of like doing it 50% of the time. How are you sort of like still trying to improve? I think this is a question that I've heard on a few different shows that like people are trying to answer, which is how do you go on this journey of kindness or sorry, journey of self improvement and trying to change yourself and fix like things that you want to fix, but also in that process? be kind and compassionate to yourself
1: every day it's just there's a guy that lives in austin mentored me in business and he's very relevant right now in the disruptive economic moment his name's keith cunningham if you don't know who keith cunningham is go google him he's the smartest man i've ever had the opportunity to work with
0: i was reading one of his books and it literally broke my brain like half i was like this is insane just the clarity he has in business.
1: I love his outlier approach, which is he is not telling you to grow 10X. He's telling you, don't do dumb shit that's going to blow your business away. And if you listen to him over the last few years, and we, both of my companies, we literally put all of our companies sort of along the model of what he taught. And because of that, in this moment where a lot of marketing agencies are folding, we're doing good, and we're doing okay, and we're Mm -hmm. still profitable in this moment. I can't say that's going to happen. Everything could change tomorrow, but he taught us how to have six months worth of reserves. He taught us Mm -hmm. all these different things, right? And so Keith has a great quote. If you want to try to reach a goal, you're not going to, and let's just say the goal is I'm going to kick this can 200 miles, right? You do not kick the can in one kick 200 miles. There, are, Everybody in the business growth space is telling you how to do that right now. Hey, just kick it. You're going to 10X, you're going to 20X, 200X. You're going to get that thing all the way down the field. It's way worth Keith's point, And the way to answer your question is this. He goes, no, the reality is you kick it 10 feet at a time. You kick it 10 feet and you walk up to it and you kick it again. And then eventually you get the 200 miles down the road. And to answer your question on the balance of all I can do, first of all, the journey is never over. I need to work constantly. I have, since the psychedelic therapy, I have a therapist in place. My wife and I communicate about where we're going and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to get better. On a daily basis, we over-communicate. We're totally on the line with each other. I can just keep kicking that can and get a little bit better every day and that's all I can do and I'm good with that. I don't need to 10X my outcome here. I need to get better every day for the next 40 years and die a happy man.
0: That's so important, like the targets. One of the things I've learned about myself in the last year is like, again, because of similar stuff, I had this habit of like creating basically goals that were unreachable.
1: Yeah, that's okay.
0: <laughs> you're laughing because you're like, I don't know if you did that. And yeah, then like, I do
1: basically that business.
0: Anything, anything I did was not good enough and right. would reinforce that story. Right. And then I would like create another higher goal and just that circle.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've learned on the business side, I've got to celebrate my wins. How do you do that? I'm not hard on myself anymore. I'm driven, but I don't. I'm just. I understand how you feel, man. Because mm-hmm. we grew our political marketing agency to thirty million in less than five years. We grew. We just started our corporate marketing agency. Great timing. Uh, about sixteen months ago, and we're already in mid-seven figures in eight less than eighteen months. And those are exponential growths. Right. Mm -hmm. If I'm to look back at where we were a year ago, I'd go, oh, my God, that is insane. But if I'm just to think right now in my head where I need to be, then that's I'm going to get depressed over that. (laughs) Right. And so I think I constantly say, where was I a year ago? It's kind of a question I put in my head almost on a daily basis or a weekly basis. I'll be like, "All right, where were we a year ago? And I'll pull out my I write a weekly notebook and everything I need to do and my outcomes and all the things I need to do to reach them and all the critical drivers, all that stuff. And I'll look back a year ago and see where we were. And it's laughable. Like, oh, my God, we're a thousand times better. That is amazing. And I'm proud of it. Right. So I guess that's the way I celebrate.
0: I love that because I think it's like we spend so much time like looking forward that we don't actually like look backwards and say, how far have we come?
1: Yeah. We do this with our team that works with us because we've got 25 employees and we're like, all right, where was your skill set a year ago? And then where are you now? And they're like, oh, my God, like it's insane. The difference between where we were uh, a year ago. And that's a really cool moment. You should not forget.
0: Mm hmm. One thing that I'm also like curious about, because I think I've seen this come up with like creators and myself. When you sort of I'm paraphrasing, so tell me if I'm wrong. When you sort of like have those wounds, let's <laughs> say that you used to like drive yourself, right? Like for, for success. And it yeah. sounds like that's what you did. Yeah. yeah, totally. When you figure that out, there's this moment, and I've definitely had this where you go, There's I have to deal with this, right? But there's also a fear that if that goes away. Will the drive go away or how will you drive yourself?
1: I think how much better the drive will be. So like for me, it was, I did Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny and they, you have to ask like, what's the primary question, right? That you've always said in your head that runs through your head all the time. And before I did that, that primary question was, why are they trying to screw me? Honest to God, that was what it was that went through my head 24 seven. It could be my wife. It could be my competition. They're not worried about me. <laughs> it's not about me. But that was what was going through my head, right? And that's what motivated me and drove me to work 16 hours a day. But what if, and I have, you switch that over to, I don't, I honestly, I have people ask me this all the time. Who's your competition in the corporate marketing space? I have, I swear to God, I have no idea. I get asked all the time, oh, you know, the only Marketing firm I know is Vayner Media because Gary is, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, I've met him a few times I've been on his show I'm friends with his family and all that stuff but like other than that I have no I don't even know who the big marketing agencies are I don't look at that anymore I can only control what I can control so for me the primary question that goes through my head right now is how can I grow today and mm-hmm. that encapsulates myself my family, my business? How are we improving my business? How are we improving outcomes for clients? How are we growing their bottom lines? How are we in the political side? How are we winning for our clients? So for me, it's just, that's really the only focus is how am I growing today? And because of that, I'm an infinitely happier person in my life. I'm more comfortable with me than I've ever been. I'm more engaged and present for my family Mm. than has ever occurred. And frankly, I'm having more fun. I didn't have fun. It was such a horrible grind. Sacha. how old are you?
0: I'm going to be 32 in about a month.
1: So here's what happens to 99% of people. They get into their late 30s, early 40s, men or women, doesn't matter. And they're going up this roller coaster, right? They're going up this roller coaster they call life with their careers or whatever it is, right? And all of a sudden you hit late 30s, early 40s and you go, oh shit, I've hit the top of the roller coaster and it's downhill and this is all there is, Right. And it happens, to everybody. I swear to you, it's going to happen to you.
0: I had that three years ago. So, so <laughs> for me, it was, you're ahead of the
1: curve. So. But for me, it
0: was like I wanted to work with all of these like big names in right. marketing, and I've shared the story before. And I remember 2016, I was working with Andrew Warner, I was working with Tim Ferriss, I was working with Seth Godin, and I was like, "Who's next? Mark Cuban, Richard Branson? Like, what's next?" And that sort of is what put me on the journey. But no, yeah. I get it. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I had that and I realized that I was serving at the master of me instead of serving at the master of others. And I realized that if I could just change my mindset and live the rest of my life with the purpose of I want to grow to help people, help my clients, help my wife, give her the relationship that we both need together grow and the purpose of having a great daughter and giving her the present she needs and teaching her things and being a good dad and not just a dad that just shows up late at night and says, I'm tired, leave me alone, all of those things. So what Mm -hmm. I've realized in that moment of this doesn't work for me anymore, this sort of midlife crisis was that it really wasn't about my ego. It wasn't about what people were screwing me over. It really needed to be about how am I serving others?
0: Mm-hmm. and it's funny there's actually this song by brad paisley <laughs> called find yourself because okay. like i feel like music has a lot of wisdom yeah he actually talks about how like when you switch from it being about you to being about someone
1: else i'm gonna write this thing like, where you're talking to so go ahead
0: yeah just like you, you sort of like switch from it being about yourself to being about someone else that's when it like changes and he talks about how like you go on these like winding roads and you feel like you're lost and then it becomes about something else and someone else
1: cool i'm gonna and check it out when,
0: like it, it just shifts
1: I love um, that. Thank you for sharing that.
0: First, I'm curious, like, what were some of the other, either like, and I know it's a general question, like shifts or sort of mm. things that you learned that were surprising through this journey? Because I well, think,
1: yeah, go ahead.
0: Because I think a lot of people like don't talk about the stuff openly. And I think, especially in these times. At least what I found is every emotion or sort of like thing that you have is heightened, right? Because like, <laughs> I, I'm saying alone, but like for people, like their families that are home. So like, if you're married, like any sort of like tension you would have usually had, it's probably like way more heightened because you're just in like one house together.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad I have a good relationship with my wife right now in this quarantine period. So I'd even take a step back. And in 2012, I was diagnosed with what doctors called an incurable disease of my esophagus. It's called, the disease called achalasia. It affects about, sorry, I have to drink a lot of water while I talk because of the condition. So it affects about one out of 100,000 people. Most of those people are in their 70s and 80s. Basically, the esophagus that I have doesn't work. Like you have a muscle, you have nerves and muscles. When you eat food, it contracts, your muscles contract and push your food in your stomach. Mine have died. And mm-hmm. there's, it's so rare that there's been no research dollars behind it. I've had 16 minor procedures on my esophagus. I've had three major surgeries. The last surgery, they literally pulled my esophagus straight because they had curved and food was hanging in there and eroding my esophagus. They pulled it straight. They cut out 25% of my stomach. They wrapped That 25%, they put it and made it into a wrap. They wrapped it around the esophagus. They stapled it all together. And that's where it sits right now. And that basically has a shelf life of about 10 years on it. And I had the surgery in 2015. And the doctors pretty much told me in 2016 that that was the last surgery I was ever going to have on my esophagus. And that they were going to, when the wrap comes undone one day. They we're going to remove my esophagus and most likely subject me to a feeding tube the rest of my life. It's called an esophagectomy. And this one caught me by surprise. So I did. Here's the insane part. From 2012 to 2016, I didn't Google the disease one time. And I didn't mm-hmm. Google the disease because I was going to the Mayo Clinic and I figured I would outsource it to great doctors and then I wouldn't have to deal with it or face it.
0: So Quick question on that, actually, because I think like it sort of like resonates with what's happening now, which yeah. is you found something that you didn't know about. Right. Which is like when we're thinking about coronavirus, like people don't know about it <laughs> and you trust that like the other people, experts who are in charge, the mail, like, yeah, in, <laughs> that, in, in this case, like the government and everything, like they know what they're doing. So it's, it's actually like really timely.
1: Yeah. Metaphor.
0: Yeah. Metaphorically. So actually a quick question on that, which is like when you got the diagnosis like yeah. at that point, how did you feel and sort of like, how did you deal with that?
1: I ignored it. I mean, I sought doctors to figure out what was wrong. It took a year and a half to get a diagnosis, but I changed nothing. What the doctors have realized at this point is it was probably an autoimmune disease, probably caused by things I was eating that were not good for me. Ultimately, I had bad gut health and there was an autoimmune response that attacked the esophagus and pretty much put it in such a fight or flight response that it just died. And mm-hmm. it couldn't fight anymore. So when I had all these procedures, had all this stuff, and then I looked at the doctor at the Mayo Clinic when he told me about this esophagectomy and feeding tube to come. And I basically said, "Well, I don't accept that. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. And he laughed at me, which is what he probably should have done. And he said, look, your disease what it is. Is what it is. I want you to continue, Philip, to take the medications we prescribe. By the way, those medications, Sasha, have long-term dementia effects, but they work in the short run. And he said, keep taking your medications and we'll see in six months. And I remember driving home from the Mayo Clinic and I just said, this doesn't work for me. I got to figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. And so it got on two tracks. One was I needed to get my diet in order and have a very healthy gut so I could live a longer life, keep my esophagus stable so it wouldn't be infected. And so I Found a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry. I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Gundry.
0: Uh, I'm not familiar with this book. I'm happy to do an
1: intro. He's a four-time New York Times bestseller. Wrote a book called The Plant Paradox. And he's got this diet on how you... It's kind of similar to keto, but it's not. It's anti-lectin. I've been on the diet for almost three years now. I do not take any prescription medication for what doctors call an incurable disease. And I don't take any prescription medication because of this particular diet. Mm-hmm. I was so blown away by the results. This isn't a fad diet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I live this lifestyle now. And I, that I stalked Gundry and became a patient. And now he's my doctor. And, and then he's had me on his podcast. He's got a great podcast. So it's kind of funny, but that was track one. The other track was I went to Peter Diamandis's mastermind called Abundance 360 out in Beverly mm-hmm. Hills. And He gets on stage, and he. this is in January of 2017, and he says, everybody pull out your notebook and write down a moonshot. You know, moonshots, something people say is impossible, and you plan to make possible, right? And of course, it's very stereotypical today to say moonshots. I get that. But that's what he did. And I wrote in my business, you know, I'm at this entrepreneurial conference, and I write in my notebook, I will find a cure to this disease in five years. Now, the ignorance of an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing right? It just, I mean, could not be more ignorant. There's no research dollars behind this disease. I hadn't Googled it. I mean, it's just, it affects old people. They're not trying to cure old people right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the first thing that Diamanda says is take some immediate action when you leave this conference. So I wrote an article, got it into Inc. magazine, and it's basically about my moonshot, how I will find a cure to this disease in five years. Mm-hmm. No one knew I had this disease. This is 17. I'd had the disease for five years. I'd never told anybody.
0: So how did you get an article into, like, because like that sounds like you just did it right but that's not a easy thing
1: to do no but i mean find a way right so i called every friend i had and said do you have anybody that's a at inc and then one guy said yeah and he put me in touch with him and i said here's the deal i have this moonshot i'm gonna take an entrepreneurial track to it he said that's mm-hmm. super cool write it and send it to me and i sent it to him and he put it up
0: and i think as in kind of like pulling in a, is it out the abstraction for yeah. uh, going up there for what people can do is what I hear is like one, especially when you're going through like a tough time, like set a goal, right? Like you set this goal of doing this. Yeah. And second, reach out to your community. Cause I think a lot of times yeah, totally. we're sort of like struggling with things and then we don't, tell people we know. So Like, if you just reach out to your community, but like, this is what I'm trying to do. I think it's, especially in times like this, it is so helpful.
1: Yeah, and by the way, if Inc. had said, no, I'd have gone to Forbes. If Forbes had said, no, I'd have gone to Business Insider. I don't know. I'd have mm-hmm. gone. I'd have kept moving, right? I wouldn't have just stopped. I just happened to try ink first and it worked. And But I reached out to 50 people and two people responded. That was it, right? Mm-hmm. I had to go through 48 failures to find two people that said, and they know someone. And then one of those two said, no, nah, I can't do anything. And then one of them said, I'll do an intro for you. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happened. So, of course, yeah. So the article came out. Ironically enough, a researcher on the disease got a Google alert, <laughs> From the guy who never Googled the disease, and she contacted me, told me I was an idiot, basically, but said I'll make a few calls to doctors and see what they say. Mm-hmm. She calls this network of doctors; they all point her to this doctor at Johns Hopkins, and they said, "You got to talk to this guy. He's been working on this disease for thirty years." Philip probably should talk to you. So we got introduced, and then he's like, "I want to find a cure to this disease too. I've been working on it for thirty years." And I go, "Well, let's do it together." We assembled a team. Uh, I got over there probably over 25 people at this point. This was in the spring of 2017.
0: So again, like when you say like we assembled the team, like what does that look like? Like did you just start calling. Yeah, I them? didn't did assemble you know? a
1: team. He assembled right. a team at Johns Hopkins of researchers and doctors and all stuff. We came up with a plan. I also, at the same time, this didn't just all happen without any failures. I had mm-hmm. interviewed a bunch of stem cell clinics overseas in Panama, And the Bahamas, and Costa Rica, because I was like, maybe stem cells would work. Well, the doctor at Hopkins is like, before you go down that path with overseas stem cell clinic, Mm -hmm. why don't we look at that for us and you? And so we did. And we petitioned the Johns Hopkins Internal Review Board and the FDA for a first ever, never done on animals, never done on people, not even, it's not even called a clinical trial. I say clinical trial just so people can make the connection, but it's called a compassionate use case. In fact, the first time I've ever heard this outside of my track is the people that are going through the vaccine studies for the coronavirus right now, they are calling those people not clinical trials, they're calling them compassionate use cases because it's like three steps before clinical trials. So I was like, oh, there's a connection. First time ever I've heard that besides my case. So we worked on this for two and a half years. We had lots of starts, lots of stops, lots of bureaucracies, lots of failures along the way. But ultimately what happened was in September of 2019, they extracted stem cells out of my thigh muscle at Johns mm-hmm. Hopkins and they took them to a stem cell clinic, part of my team in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they grew these stem cells for like five months in a lab. And then in on February 17th, 2020, just uh, just recently, they took those stem cells. I walked into Johns Hopkins University and they inserted 225 million stem cells into my esophagus in the areas with the most damage mm-hmm. to try to regenerate the muscles and get functionality into my esophagus again. So we have no idea if it'll work or not. If the surgery had been scheduled from March 17th instead of February 17th, it never would have happened. It may have even been it may have, happening. Away, may have gone away because you can't mm-hmm. do these things anymore. So apparently, I got in right under sort of the deadline where you, these aren't even elective surgeries, right? This is a mm-hmm. compassionate use case, so it would have been beyond everything else. I am supposed to go back in early summer and do three days of procedures and tests for them to go in and look at my esophagus and figure out what's happened. Did muscle grow? Is there mm-hmm. functionality in there? But that's off the table now. Like, there's no chance that's going to happen anymore. So I'm living with this now. I'm in a period, a two-month window where the growth is supposed to happen. I currently haven't felt anything as of yet, but I have another six to seven weeks of this Mm -hmm. where the window can still occur. But this all kind of started with the fact that I never Googled the disease. And I basically was living in so much fear of dealing with my own health that I just stuck my head in the sand. And one day the pain got too big and I had to do something about it. And The last thing I'll say about this, and this again, I really want to be clear, this is not a bunch of mumbo jumbo, positive talk, think, uh, or the the thinking and talking as people do. The disease is the best thing that ever happened to me because it got me to realize there's a finite time in my life and I need to live it with purpose and to serve others. Mm -hmm. That sort of metamorphosis that we talked about in the first part of this interview came about because of the disease. So if you told me right now, we could go back to 2012 and I could not, you know, you'd take the disease away and I could be normal again, I would not do it. And I would take the disease every time. My life is infinitely better with the disease than it was without it.
0: So, so first of all, thank you for sharing just like all of the personal stuff that you have. And I think There's a few interesting things in that I think that that, like we can like draw parallels to what's happening right now. Like one thing which you said, which was the pain you talked about the pain, right? Because I think like a lot of times we think that we'll set these goals and we'll just go after things. And like I've had times where I've set these targets and like don't do anything. And I actually have found that like as a heuristic, like sometimes like it is like that the pain gets so much that like the pain of Hmm. taking action becomes less than like the pain of inaction is, is when I sort of like go for it. And I think people, for people listening, like you don't have to wait to get an incurable disease, right? <laughs> I think we're all sort of like, and I was actually I was reading um, book tribe by mm-hmm. Sebastian. I don't, I don't know how to say his last name, Younger or Younger. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but he talks about how like when they when we go through like a crisis, like people actually come together. And I think this time, like people can use this sort of like they don't have to get an incurable disease to <laughs> be like, what is it actually that I want to do? What is some way where I can like help other people to sort of push themselves on that journey that you
1: went through. Yeah. I mean, people are in a lot of pain right now. So what are you going to do about it? Right. There's so much that's out of our control. All you can mm-hmm. do is focus on what you can't control. And I think that's the, the key to the whole thing. I just lived in my shit for so long in my life and I just don't want to live in my shit anymore. And I've got to do something about it. So Yeah, there's a lot of lessons. Uh, I'd say the same thing for business owners right now. Is this a moment to take advantage of the moment, or is this a a moment that you're going to sit back and make excuses? Like, I do know this. I have no idea what's going to happen over the next six months, 12 Mm -hmm. months, 18 months. I just don't know. I do know that when we look back on this, there's a silver lining in it, and Mm -hmm. we will be grateful for it, that it will have happened, even if there was death suffered. The one thing that is keeping me motivated right now more than anything else is, how do I want to be remembered a year from now?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as the person that treated people poorly in this moment, that didn't put others' needs first? Do I want to be the person that didn't help my clients and you know did everything possible? I mean, with a lot of our clients right now, they're paying us a lot of money, and we just said, we'll double the amount of services we're doing for you. Um, yeah. Why? because this is a moment when people need help. Mm-hmm. And that's how yeah. I want to be remembered in a year.
0: And yeah, I think it's actually good to say, sort of like the other thing we wanted to discuss, which is like turning your health failure in, into success, because I think people are going through that, right? Like I was sharing with you before where, let's say like you are someone who wants to do good and you are someone who wants to help people because of things that are happening. Like there are companies that are going to get shut down, like brick and mortar stores mm-hmm. done, right? For a long time, companies that advertise them for that, do like marketing for them. Those clients are gone. Totally. I just read a stat in the morning, and in some ways, I was like, does it even make sense to record this." Like podcasting listenership is down twenty percent in March, and and for good reason, right? Like there's people want real time. Yeah, they want real time news. People don't need another interview show, right? Like people want stuff (laughs) that like can actually help them. And so when people are going through those things and they want to help, how should they be thinking about? making that transition and sort of coming out of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you've got to ask your question, whereas, again, this is another Keith Cunningham teaching. You're going to solve your own problem if you think and you do enough analytical work. Uh, Keith has this exercise that I'm religious with. It's called thinking time. And basically you write down a question or a problem, and then you in a notebook Mm -hmm. with no computers or no devices near you. You write for 45 minutes on question. And what happens every time is that the first third of what you write is everything that's on the top of your head. And then the second third are maybe a couple ideas that you haven't thought about before, but you inevitably hit a wall, but you Mm -hmm. can't stop. Like the rule is Mm -hmm. you put your head down, you don't look up, you don't go to the bathroom, you don't do anything. Keep writing. Mm -hmm. The last 15 minutes, it happens every time. You get ideas that you never thought possible. It's the greatest Mm -hmm. ideas you've ever come up with in your career. One of our ideas that we had in our company has made us $3 million off one thinking time idea. And it's one idea. Uh,
0: can, can you share what it is? Because I was actually going to ask you for an example. That's
1: yeah, it cool. was, we ended up going to complementary businesses in the marketing world that didn't do what we did. And we partnered with them and said, we will serve as your marketing, digital marketing agency. They were, if you guys, and they were, they had much bigger clients than us. Mm-hmm. And so we said, look, you need, an, your clients are asking for digital services. You weren't providing that. We do it. White label us and we will come in and do all the work and we'll give you a referral fee for it. That's the key. It's not just, mm-hmm. oh, we're friends. We're compliments. That doesn't work. Right. We'll give you a referral fee for it. And we'll, you have to work with us exclusively. That's the only deal. You get money, mm-hmm. but you have to work with us exclusively. It's, we call it the exclusivity contract. And that one led to one company. We did it with a, about 10 companies. One company crushed business with us. I mean, crushed it. And it allowed us to expand and scale our company at a level we never thought possible very quickly. And that came out of what else can we do to build the business besides going out and pitching clients? Mm -hmm. That was the question I had to answer.
0: And I think one thing that is so important, I've kind of been doing the same thing recently, is what people don't realize, like what you've done in that is normally when you're in a business, you have to spend money first. And then you get customers, right? In this case, what you've done is you get the customer, you get the customer, and then you spend the money. So your acquisition cost is actually after you get the customer, right? And and it's so genius. It's like it's I think risk free, exactly. And and I think like if you're what what I'm doing is I'm going to companies that provides tools or software for what I do, being like, hey, can I just help the people in your audience? Because even if it doesn't lead to business, um, there's this really great tweet from Naval Ravikant where he said the next three months is basically an audition hmm. for who the leaders of the next few years are going to be.
1: It's true. Right? So true. So, I mean, it, in anything Naval Rights, I'm listening. I'm, I'm reading,
0: yeah, right? And I might have paraphrased it, but that's what he meant. Yeah. That's what, around what he was saying. And I think like, if you can't get revenue, because like, we're sort of like coming into a period of where like people are like saving. If you can position yourself as a leader and just yeah. go be helpful to people, that's going to like come back kind of like to what you were saying is like that. That's how people will remember you is, You led to help
1: others. So an interesting story on that. So we, our marketing, corporate marketing agency, is 75% of our clients have sort of doubled down right now. Another 25% are gone forever, right? So Mm -hmm. we represented a a big travel, they were a um, timeshare company. They laid off, I think, ninety eight percent of their staff. They're gone, right? So we they were a big, they're a big client. They're gone.
0: I remember reading Airbnb just halted all their marketing.
1: Oh, did they really? Yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it makes sense. And I'll tell you what Airbnb should be doing. But so, but we have we back in that March fifth, I sat down with our team and I said, here are the clients that we have right now that have exponential growth in this moment. Mm -hmm. And we need to start positioning them today in early March. We need to position them for the worst case scenario so they see the growth over time. Here's a set of clients like the timeshare company. We're probably going to lose. So what do we Mm -hmm. need to do? So we uh, I'll give you three companies that we work with. I'll tell you what we did, but then I'll tell you what happened is the results crazy. So Mm -hmm. one of them is an organic food company and supplement company. And we talked to the CEO and we said, listen, your marketing has got to double down right now because people are at home and they got to have you need to market to you need a strong immunity system. You're home. You need clean food. we deliver that? We need clean supplements. We deliver that. Right. In a pandemic, if we lose food, you can have you know, these protein powders or whatever it is. Like,
0: <laughs> I have two jars of protein powders. I'm basically drinking smoothies every morning.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and so we sat down. Five days ago with Google and Facebook and their marketing, their ad teams, they told us that Google and Facebook combined are going to lose $44 billion, with a B, $44 billion in ad loss for ad revenue between now and December. That's what they told us, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because no one's spending money on ads. The ad inventory is as cheap as it's ever been. I mean, literally ad rates are, we're like laughing at how cheap ad rates are on all, mm-hmm. all of the platforms we're running on everybody's biggest complaint for the last 10 years is it's so expensive and it's so competitive. Well, now it's not expensive and it's not competitive. Now, if you have a business that's out of business, okay, you got to have a different track. But if you have a business that has an opportunity, this is your moment. And so with that organic food and so supplement company, actually... that's what we're doing. Then I'll give you two other businesses we, where we're we doing this.
0: That, that's what I was going to like, ask. How do you think about, in terms of like, if you're in a business or or you're running a business, like what things will work? So like, cause like one of the things like a French, I mean, which was really insightful, I think was like, we've basically fell, fallen down a few levels on Maslow's hierarchy. Right. So if you have a business or a product, like how do you, how should you be thinking about whether this is something that people want and you double down or whether something like, or whether you like adapt what you're doing to something else. So that's to make it like what people need, because people aren't spending on like fashion and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, um, Our marketing agency is a little unique. You have to follow our five step formula or five step system in order to work with us. We won't work with you otherwise. I've never filled out an RFP and we Mm -hmm. work with NASDAQ companies, Fortune 200 companies and they come to us and they say, hey, if you wanna work with us and do this side of our marketing, you gotta fill out an RFP and I say, no, that's not our model. Mm So. The reason being is the first thing you got to start with is understanding what your customer clients think, not just Mm -hmm. in the moment of the coronavirus, but all over the place, right? So we built a partnership with the largest data collection company in America, and I can take any customer base of any client and I can overlay it and track their movements online because we got their IP addresses. And I'm not, this isn't a survey monkey. This is Mm -hmm. literally what they're doing, not just what they're saying. That makes sense, and so right. I know their purchasing decisions. We work with the data company; they have like psychologists that analyze the data, and then they can tell us what the customers think, what they feel, what their values are in life, what platforms they're going on, what they media they consume, what plat, what social media platforms they're going on, in a chronological order based on how many times they go there. And mm-hmm. so when I look at a company like I'll tell you about this pest control, like National Pest Control Company, we work with, I can tell you what platforms we shouldn't be on. So if you're a marketer out there going, we need to run a bunch of Facebook ads and I run the data and I tell you Facebook's the fourth performing platform you should be on, why would you spend your money there? So the first thing is eliminate as much risk as you can in this moment by understanding at a deep level what your customers or your clients want. No one gives a shit about you or your business and what you want to talk about. It is all about what the customer wants from your business. And that's what you must find in this moment besides. I need your help because of the coronavirus moment. It's everything else is important.
0: And if someone like, how should someone think about if they don't have access to the data that you have?
1: Well, what I did was this is what we were doing for our Fortune 200 company clients and NASDAQ company. And they were paying $250,000 to $500,000 for the data. Okay, Mm -hmm. they were paying that much because they had a thousand different segments on it. Right. It could be men over 50 from 50 to 55 that were white or whatever it is. You know, we just did a thousand segments. So I went to them and I said, I want to get the exclusive licensing agreement. I will pay you six figures. That's what we said to the data company. And then I want to be able to offer it at whatever price I want. And so they said deal. And so we, were a, we now offered it at $5,000, the same thing that Fortune 500 companies are get paying a half a million for, you're getting for 1% of the cost. And it's the mm-hmm. same exact process. Now, you can't do 1,000 different segments on it. That would be inefficient for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can do three segments. So I can track people that come to your website, right? I'm going to put a pixel on your website, mm-hmm. and then I can track their movements. I can overlay and get, their, get IP address of your customers. And I can build a lookalike audience for you, uh, future customers. And then we can figure out all the different variations of what those people want out of your product or service. And then I can design a marketing campaign, which is my sort of the second step, which is the strategic design. We design that marketing strategy out of what the data tells us about all of your audiences. Mm -hmm. So that's how I address it. With that particular pest control company, they followed the five-step process. And if you want to know what it is, you can go to winbigmedia.com. We have it all over the website. But we went and in month five, of this pest control company, they had lost $2 million in market share after spending $1.8 million in marketing before they came to us. They followed the five-step process, which is eliminating all the risk. And we, the third step is we rebranded their company based on what the customers wanted, not what they wanted to talk about. We tested the fourth step we, at low cost. We tested all of the ads, that all the messages we found in the data, and then we found what worked. And then we launched a full-scale marketing campaign, which is our fifth step. In month five of this with a national pest control company, they had the greatest month in the history of their 35-year company. Now, coronavirus set. And so we went to them and we said, we need to scrap everything you're doing. And we need to say people are quarantined in their house. It is springtime. Summer is coming. Bugs and rodents are going to come in your house. It is the time that you must have a clean environment Mm -hmm. in your home because you're eating every meal in your home now. It is going to be amplified. And this is your moment to make sure the one thing you don't cut is pest control services. And Mm -hmm. we're starting to see a positive ROI on that message right now, already in the middle of all this stuff. And that company could have sat on their hands. And families that have pest control companies that are making budget cuts right now could have said, you know what, let's just cut the pest control companies right now. But we put that information in front of them and we positioned this company a few weeks ago. We ran the ads, we put it in front of them and now we're turning a corner with them because the angst of Corona creates opportunity.
0: How do you, this is something I struggled with for sure like in the last week. And I think I'm I'm still kind of like navigating my way through it. How do you balance when things in the world are sort of like going bad, (laughs) right? Balance sort of like feeling compassion for that, but also like, Seeing opportunities and going after that, and not feeling opportunistic. Or something why, do,
1: why do they have to be mutually exclusive?
0: That's what I mean. Is like, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. But like, yeah. how do you sort of like think about those?
1: I mean, I'm not going to go to my client and offer them to help them in a way that doesn't help them. So right. I have an ethical responsibility. So for like the timeshare company, they call, they said let's do it. We did a conference call with them this week, and mm-hmm. before they started talking, I said, guys, you have no reason to market right now. I understand your business going. There we're here. If you want to do conference calls, you want to talk strategy, you want to talk about how you're going to restart when this thing gets better. Mm-hmm. We're here for you. We're not charging you. We're here to help, but yeah. we're not taking your money. And they were like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And they, mm-hmm. then they said to me, which is crazy. They said, we just laid off our entire marketing team. So when we come back, you're the first call we're making because we don't have a marketing team Boom. Right. I didn't go into it thinking that Mm -hmm. I provided value. I told them we'd help them for free in this moment of service to others. And they said, well, you're our first call when we start back marketing. And, you know, I believe it. So we'll see what happens. But (laughs) hopefully that's three months, not eight months or 10 months or 18 months. Yeah,
0: And I think that goes so much back to like sort of like intention, which is showing up with the intention of helping. Yeah. And like doing the right thing because I think a lot of people aren't right. But like like I, the guy, the hand sanitizer hoarding and forget <laughs> what the God, thing. no, it's insane.
1: But I mean, like I'll tell you this. So we um, we work with a medical clinic, and they just hired us last week because they see the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a. They're a stem cell clinic. They see the ability to improve immunity systems. And I told them this. They want to target people from the ages of 21 to 35. We just did this call with them this morning. So I'll tell you what came out of it. Because we were we did an overrun of their data, tracked all these people over the previous three months because we can go back in time, and then, mm-hmm. and then a month in the future. So we got some corona data out of it. What we found is... For that particular medical clinic, they need trust is the most important thing and for this age group, but trust not in the doctor necessarily. They want a third-party validator. And I think I read this the other day, the Wharton School of Business said all purchase, or 50% of all purchasing decisions right now are coming down to third-party reviews, which is a telling statistic because everybody, everybody wants to be validated, right? So I mm-hmm. told them, I said, guys, We need to, and by the way, we also find that their ideal patient is on Snapchat and Instagram one and two. Those are the top two performing social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Sacha, do you know how cheap the influencer market is about to be? You can go to the influencer market. And for this particular market, you want people in the athletic space, mainly in the yoga marketing space. Do you know that I could reach out to any yoga influencer right now? and say, we want you to help us market this medical clinic. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm going to pay you about 90% less than you were making two months ago. And they're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to run the marketing. And then this person who's well-known to their followers, and we're going to build that out. My point is, is your inventory is so cheap right now in whatever it is. But for, if I could give anybody listening one takeaway, figure out this is all tactical, right? not strategic, but figure out a way to make sure you have third-party validation in everything you do right
0: now. So, so, so let's actually flip this because I think this is interesting because a lot of like, who I work with are like independent creators, right? Are the influencers you're talking about. How should they think about navigating this? Because you're right, like, the revenue they're going to make is going to get to like 10% based on what you're saying. Yeah,
1: they're either front line or second line. So
0: Yeah. C- can you explain that concept of like frontline? And frontline? Yeah.
1: So uh, frontline are the frontline companies that are gone immediately from the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. So restaurants, bars, brick and mortar, the travel industry, right? Imagine if you're a marketing agency, by the way, and you represent brick and mortar and you represent companies that are on the front lines, you're gone, right? We're lucky yeah. enough, all of our clients were sort of third line. So second line is the next disruption is what, what are those businesses that, we're able to survive for a month or two, but ultimately things didn't get better, customers haven't come back, and they're having to make some serious cuts, right? Mm-hmm. And so the influencer market, just like the social media platforms are frontline, they're probably, I mean, they're not frontline the fact they're going away, they've just been altered, extremely altered and disrupted right mm-hmm. now. And my advice to them is, I hope you save for a rainy day. My advice, listen, I sat down with an Instagram influencer in Beverly Hills in August of last year, and I asked her, she was making $10,000 a post, traveling the world, having a blast, making a fuck ton of money. And I said, what, have you created any products or services out of what you do? Because you need to have other sort of pillars of business mm-hmm. coming in right now. And she said, no, I'm making easy money. I'm traveling. I ain't doing it. I'm not expanding my business. I'm not investing in anything right now. And I said, I think that's a mistake. And she's like, I'm fine. And so <laughs> that person is in deep shit right now. I mean, it's just a mm-hmm. fact. I don't have any advice to them. Like You should have built out a business model that could have survived or at least hunted your income for a while. Products and services right now are needed because people are ordering mm-hmm. a shit ton on Amazon. So, The stories that I told you about these businesses that are doubling down right now. So I wrote, so I have a subscriber list. It's at phillipsdesk.com. And I wrote to them an article. I put it on Medium and it blew up. Medium put it on their front page. But it's basically how you can win, how you can grow your sales in the coronavirus moment. And i lay out Mm -hmm. some of the examples I just talked about. That article in and of itself has created three pitches for us this week. Mm -hmm. So that's another angle. Be the white knight and the person in the marketplace that's helping others. The article was, here's what you can do, business owner that's not paying me, to advance in this. We Mm -hmm. have a national media company that read the article and I'm pitching tomorrow morning because they're like, we're trying to get an idea of how we can market our media conglomerate in this Mm -hmm. moment. And I'm like, great, let's go talk. I may land them, I may not. I still want to help them. But the fact is, is that I used my expertise in how people were positioning themselves right now to grow and be what Naval said. And I told their story and it resulted in people reading it, forwarding it and passing it on to others and then calling me and, or reaching out to me and saying, can we have a chat?
0: I think that's, and then maybe there's an idea in that where like if there's people who've built audiences who know how to do that, they could go start teaching brands how to do it because their inventory is going to be cheap, but like maybe they can teach other companies that need that in this moment. What else didn't we cover? Like, what else would you share with people like as they're going through this? I know it's it's a general question. I sort of just pause it blank for a second. (laughs)
1: Look, listen, you can't ignore Mm -hmm. what's going on. I have contingency plans all over the place. First of all, I have six Mm -hmm. months of resources banked, right? Even if you don't. What do you have bank? What can you bank? Where can you find cash, right? The government obviously just passed Mm -hmm. this trillion dollar deal. There's an amazing loan in there that's forgivable for any Mm -hmm. overhead and employees under $100,000. I'm applying for that right now as an insurance policy. Doesn't mean I'll use it, but if I need it, I'm going to take it. A year ago, Mm -hmm. I secured a line of credit. First of all, I built my entire business with no outside investors and I have no debt. And we have 30 employees and we built it to mid uh, eight figures at this point, and we did it in five years. And by the way, how did I do that? Referral programs, right? That was my big marketing point, was I built referral programs. We did great work, people shared it with other people, and that's how we built it. But- And,
0: and the same thing applies Everybody like you're basically taking the cost of getting a client and putting it after you sign the
1: client. That's right. And so, so what we did was a year ago, we went out and got a line of credit, and we didn't need it, but we said, you know what, rainy days may happen, and we had half a million dollars of cash we'd have available. Mm-hmm. So I have reserves. I have cash in, in a line of credit. The loan the government is giving out right now would cover two months of all my over Well, not all, anybody under $100,000, my rent, all the office supplies, all this. Stuff, it'll cover all of that. Mm-hmm. For two months, they'll reimburse me that loan. It's forgiven. Like, yeah. like, I have a fiduciary duty to protect my team. Not me, my team. I'm Mm -hmm. the one that's going to take the first salary cut if I have to. That's me. And that's sort of the Simon Sinek leaders eat last, right? Mm -hmm. It's totally true. I will be the first cut. So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is figure out how you can get cash and figure out a plan that it's not just about growing right now. It is a defensive play. I was mm-hmm. up at four this morning listening to a podcast about the government loan, what we need to do. I've talked to my banker every day since the bill passed last a couple of weeks ago. So right. listen, I'm way on top of this because I have a duty to protect my team, which is also serving mm-hmm. them first.
0: Yeah, and I think that that might sort of like be good time to sort of like end with something like this, which is like, we're in unprecedented times and you just have to start taking action and like, yeah. go for it. Here's the last question. This is something I'm testing. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> Since the show is called Conscious Creators, what does conscious, being a conscious creator mean for you? Or finish the sentence, I am a conscious creator because.
1: I'll tell you what it means to me. The first third of this interview, I lived an unconscious life. What therapy did, what psychedelics did, what my disease did is it brought me into consciousness. It taught, brought me to live a conscious life. And what that means for me is being authentic, being present, mm-hmm. and being vulnerable. And I can look at those three things and say, am I living authentically? Mm-hmm am I and I think vulnerability is huge right now. I just think mm-hmm. it, it's huge. it's a strength. I would never show my vulnerability when I was unconscious. and so mm-hmm. and and frankly, it's just Frank, in the presence thing, I could sit there and just be glued to my phone every day when I get home from work because it sure is easy to check out. I mm-hmm. could have a drink. It sure would be easy to check out. but being mm-hmm. present means understanding how other people feel, listening to them and being in their world and being in their presence. And I think Mm -hmm. if you can do those three things, you're living a conscious life.
0: I think that's a perfect way to end because I think, especially in these times, like those things are generally important, always important, but they're also free. So like, you can't do (laughs) anything else. Totally. You can do that.
1: That's a great point.
0: Where can people find you if they want to follow up with you after or, or reach out or say yeah, thank you? Yeah,
1: a couple of things. You go to philipstutz.com. I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. There is a free data assessment on there. So if you're a business out there and you're like, I want to understand how to use my data effectively, you can go mm-hmm. on philipstutz.com. takes you like three seconds and then my team one of my team members will give you a buzz and ask you what your data looks like and give you a bunch of suggestions that you could do for free if you want to hire us that's awesome but that's not the point of it the point of of course the whole point of the show is how do we give first and that's one mm-hmm. thing that people can take away you can email me it's very easy it's ps at philipstutz.com
0: perfect and we'll have all that linked up in the show notes thank you philip yeah man hey it's Sachet again if you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, make sure you thank our guests and let them know what you thought. There's easy links to all of their social media, Twitter, Instagram, everything else in the show notes. Secondly, make sure you head on over to creators.show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and additional bonuses. See you next week.